Do you know what I'm going to ask you to do? Any ideas? You guys are church leaders. Any ideas? Thank you very much. Please make your way to the front. Some of you maybe even sit in the anointed seats. But guys, you have these same frustrations in your churches. And you think, oh, why would no one sit in the front? Everyone comes and sits at the back. Okay, fantastic. Thanks for joining us for this session. Mm. Where we're going to be sharing a few hard lessons. I'm Sibs, uh, Lead City Hill Church in, um, where are we? Bryanston. And, uh, and this is my friend, good friend, Bruce McKenzie, leads the Journey Church. My white friend, one of my white friends, uh, Bruce McKenzie, leads the Journey Church. So what we'll do in this session is just uh, up front tell you a little bit about um, our church planning experiences, and then we'll just share a um, few pointers, hard lessons we've learned, and then after that have a time of Q&A, which uh, we can field some of those, but uh, also there's a lot of practitioners here, so we can share ideas also, but just to have um, some idea of who we're speaking to, just so we can be as relevant as possible, um, how many people are in a church plant situation right now? So maybe not to three or four years. Yep. How many are preparing to plant a church or to be planted out? Fantastic. And uh, how many are here just because these are the most comfortable seats? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> so basically, um, we uh, planted City Hill Church in 2013. We initially planted in Sunning Hill, and uh, the story there was we'd wanted to plant further north, um, or oh, sorry, south, close to the city, but uh, after knocking on 82 doors uh, in this city, we eventually ended up in Sunning Hill, and so that's a, a church planting lesson on its own. You don't always plant where you think you'll plant, you'll plant where you find a venue. Sometimes uh, that's just the reality of it. Um, but uh, after a year of being in Sunning Hill, we moved venue across to Bryanston, which uh, I wouldn't uh, put in any church plant manual to disrupt the church plant um, after the first year, but we didn't have a choice. The venue we were meeting in the Sunning Hill um, we were paying about 50 grand for the pleasure of using it on Sunday mornings only. And uh, again, it's just part of the reality of planting churches in, in the city. It's uh, really, really expensive. And so we moved across, um, and that was uh, very difficult for us because, as you can imagine, you've been building momentum the whole year. We just celebrated getting to 100. Suddenly we had to stop, pack up, and move across town and lost about 25 people, which is very, very painful. Um, at that stage of a church plant. But anyway, we settled in in Bryanston and sort of got going again. And uh, what we are trying to do is, uh, much of what we've been speaking about in this conference is uh, building a diverse church, um, a church that is racially, nationally, ethnically uh, diverse. And as, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it does make it that much more challenging. It's, uh, it's far easier to fine-tune the kind of person that you want, um, the person who's most like you. And uh, if you can go for people who are most like you, then you'll get, you'll find you'll have uh, uh, greater momentum. Things will happen a lot quicker. But when you're trying to build a church where different people feel like they can belong, not just attend, um, then the reality is there's no one who's always going to be 100% comfortable. And the reality as well, because uh, of our sort of post-colonial context, is that um, it's generally easier for black people to submit to white leadership than it is for white people to submit to black leadership. Uh, but it's a hill we're going to live and die on. And um, <clears throat> by God's grace, we have started to see, uh, you know, the odd... Uh, not, it's not just about a black and white thing, because I'm actually Zimbabwean, so South African is very important uh, for us. And uh, we want to be a diverse church, <clears throat> but a diverse South African church that's relevant um, in the continent. So that's what we are building by God's grace. And um, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, we in sort of year two and a half, and it's been real hard yards, but we've learned a lot of valuable lessons, which I hope can bring, um, be of some use to you. Uh, today. Brewster? Yeah. How's it everyone? Um, I'm Bruce McKenzie. 
lead the Journey Church. We're out in the West Rand. Our story goes back uh, quite a few years, back to about 2009 when we were living in uh, Empangeni, KwaZulu Natal, North Coast, and uh, felt God leading my wife and family and myself all back to Johannesburg to, uh, to plant a church on the West Rand. We felt very strongly about that right, right back then. Um, in God's providence, we ended up, yeah, I think had we come and done it then, we would really have made uh, a total hash of the whole job. So in God's providence, we ended up with God First Church, where we served an eldership for a year and a half before we getting kicked out and um, going and plant the church on, on, on the West Rand. And uh, we started off in a small school, biggest room that we could find in the area as we struggled to find a venue could at an absolute squeeze do about 80 people and we would hit that and then drop down and hit that and drop down uh, for some time. So we've been going about four and a half years now. We now rent a, a warehouse out there. Um, similar heart uh, to Sibs, for us it was like coming into that area and being feed, feeling the geographic call. We felt that one of the things was our church should represent the area that we're in. And uh, the more I'm in that area, the more convinced I am that of the diversity that's there. And, and by diversity, I still feel it's like in multiple ways. There's the racial diversity, there's the socioeconomic diversity, rich and poor, as well as generational di diversity, where you've got the old and the young. And so our goal has been to try and see that. Um, we're still pretty weak, probably in all those areas, but uh, it's certainly a passion of ours to see that as a reality. I'm going to fire away with uh, some of the points that we've got. We'll just alternate. Feel free to uh, just pop your hand up if you want um, questions for clarity, but we will have time to talk uh, afterwards and uh, sh uh, take questions and share experiences. So the first one for me would be temper faith with wisdom. Now, the very nature of church planting requires that you have huge faith, okay? You've, uh, because the whole idea is you've got to be able to see in your heart um, what has not yet been revealed to the senses. That's what faith is all about. And so faith is absolutely essential, and it has to be absolutely sky high. So you don't want to be spending time, uh, on the one hand, with naysayers, with people who just, oh, no, no, I wouldn't do, oh, no, that doesn't sound good. No, oh, that's never been done before. Oh, no, I don't. And you don't want to spend time with people like that. But at the same time, you do want to be able to spend time with people who've been there, done that, people who've succeeded and have failed, and be able to receive wisdom. and Because uh, what can happen is when you are f uh, planting a church and you're feeling uh, full of faith, it's like you're on faith steroids and uh, nothing is impossible and you're dreaming big dreams. Wisdom can seem like lack of faith. And, when, uh, and you have to learn to discern between people who are naysayers and people who are just giving you good, sound advice and uh, you want to hang around with those people and be able to temper your faith, your big vision, with good wisdom. So an example of that is uh, I remember meeting with uh, James Monaghan, who was leading City Life Church at the time, and, uh, and I, was, I was just talking to him about, uh, about the church, and we were, we were still in the, in the planning stage, and I happened to mention the word salaries, and he said, excuse me, salaries? And he said, yeah. And so I said, no, no, no. You know, we've got this guy who will do this and this guy who just three days a week and she'll do this and she'll do and, uh, and he looked at me and said, uh, and he said, uh, so you've got four people that you're going to be paying. I said, well, yeah, you know, but you know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and he said, uh, and he said, just remind me, how many, how many people you've got in, in, in this group, this planting group? I said, oh, you know, about 20 adults. And, and he said, uh, and already you're committing to pay these people? And, uh, and I thought at the time, I just thought to myself, you know, that's what happens when you've been in the church a long time, you get jaded in your faith, you know, but uh, he clearly doesn't, doesn't see the vision and he doesn't have the faith that I have and so on. And uh, we committed financially and, uh, and I can tell you we spent the next two years reeling from those decisions because my faith uh, was, I, I was not able to temper my, my great faith with good sound advice and good wisdom. So my first point is temper faith with wisdom. So mine probably comes uh, quite well on the back of that. I just really felt, don't underestimate the value of evaluation. You know, being evaluated in terms of your church planting, you know, call, ability, and so on. 
And I think, you know, often with church planters, they're really enthusiastic about it. Man, I just feel so called to this thing. I want to jump in. I'm going to do the whole thing really quickly. You know, just like nothing going to hold. You got the, you can see it. You can get it. It's almost tangible right then. And uh, when you get in there, something just seems a little different right at that moment. But I just look back over our lives, and I, the one thing I never got was anyone evaluating me in terms of church planting. I was sent out, kicked out, but not helped to figure out whether that was right. Sometimes our, we feel so strongly in the call that, you know, we can't imagine anything else, but maybe the call needs to be tweaked a little bit. Maybe it's actually not exactly what we think it's going to be. Um, so, my, our situation was, you know, my wife has uh, suffered for, you know, over 10 years with uh, multiple sclerosis. So, we, it's like you're trying to plant with a family. Your wife's not particularly well all the time, and you want to be, you know, one of the things that you've got to do well is things like hospitality and that kind of stuff. And how do you do that well when you're not sure you, your wife is going to be able to face more people around the house tomorrow? And uh, so little things like that, uh, you know, just are helpful. But getting people's with the wisdom and perspective that, uh, from others, I, I don't think we must ever despise that, especially those who have gone ahead, those who have done this before. And, you know, movement, uh, networks like this who can really do that well and have got the history with it. Uh, my next one would be, <clears throat> again, along the lines of faith, is to recognize that uh, some of your faith in the beginning will be mixed with presumption. And I don't think there's, there's anything you can do about that, but uh, just be aware of it. So, again, you're in a church plant context. Maybe you've got a planting group of four or five or ten and uh, you're all on faith steroids, which is great, and uh, you feel like you can take the world, and that's wonderful. But just realize that within all of that, um, some of the things that you are, you are hearing is, is, is stuff God's saying to you. Others is just stuff that you just, just hope will happen. And, um, and we can mix faith with presumption. I remember we had a prayer meeting. So we, uh, the way we launched is that we started a, a weekly prayer meeting for several months, and I remember in that one of those prayer meetings, and we'd be praying for hours, and, and I just saw the number 500, and I just said, yeah, guys, I, I'm just seeing this number 500, and, uh, and I'm just feeling God, you know, speaking to us about we're going to become a church of 500. And you know what it's like? You kind of think, you know, you'll open the doors, a couple of hundred will walk in, and a few months later, and, and you kind of set this thing up in your mind that you're going to be this church of 500, and in no time at all, sure, you'll have to do a bit of work, but really, it's, it's just going to happen. Um, and that's a good example of how we can set ourselves up for disappointment because we hung our faith on our own good ideas. We hung our faith on things that God wasn't necessarily uh, saying to us, but things that were really just presumption. And maybe we will be a church of 500. But remember what happened with Joseph. You know, so God shows you this great dream. It's not going to necessarily happen tomorrow. But um, be careful about presuming. And uh, again, even if, if you're going to go the, 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 the prayer route, and I'd hope that none of you would plant a church without giving it much prayer, but again, recognize because you are all in go mode. So what kind of prophetic words do you think you're going to get? Do you think anyone is going to say, oh, I just, thus saith the Lord, there will be, this will be a road of much suffering and heartache. You know, no one in a church planting group is really going to be prophesying those sort of things. The kinds of words you will be getting are, the Lord is with us. God says, go. God says, I'm with you. God says, I'm the wind beneath. Yeah, you know, and, and, and that's what's going to be happening, and that's good. But at the same time, we need to just be careful that we are sifting what is faith on God's promises, in God's promises, and what are the things that we are just presuming um, are, are going to happen because those are the things that are going to set us up for disappointment needlessly. Just a reminder, this session is about hard lessons learned. So if you've come to be built up and encouraged to go and plant churches, this is exactly what you need right now. <laughs> uh, uh, my next point is one that's particularly encouraging to everyone. Everything gets tested. Um, that was my experience. I, it, we came to church planting with great vision, and just like this kind of thing, in all honesty, I would have expected us to be hundreds by now. We're about 60. 
Um, I was, you know, I was really going, I mean, I thought, people are just going to come. Uh, I, I don't know why I would think that, but I kind of thought that. But I, I realized family, friends, finance, faith, calling, all gets tested. You know, and it's, it's been one of these lessons that I've learned all, all along the way. So I, I'm, I'm the guy who's kind of got the book table out in the front there. Um, and, you know, some really good books. I want to encourage you to buy some. Uh, but some, some of the, I read some of those books before I did this. And it was like, yeah, you know, I, I was convinced. Their experience that they spoke about, about like the challenges and everything of church planting, I thought, you know what, it's not going to be me. I really I honestly believed that I was above it. And I'll tell you something, last year was probably one of the darkest years of my life. There was a time when I could not even sing. And for me, that just freaks my mind out because I want to sing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to tell people I love Jesus and, and He's worth singing about. And I couldn't do that. And that just kind of freaked me out. And uh, I think it leads me on to the next point because uh, that I want to make. And, and that was this, that, you know, when, when you look at that, um, I had to realize my identity is not in who I am as a church planter. And I can't, you can't put your identity in being a church planter. It's got to be in Christ. My, um, my identity is who I am in Christ, not in who I am in a church, as a church planter. Because when my identity is in the wrong place, when somebody comes along and they go, Bruce, you know, we, we did love you, but we don't really anymore. Kind of, well, they do that practically, don't they? You kind of feel it's personal. When somebody leaves you, it's like, why are you leaving me? And, uh, you know, and it becomes a very personal, hard experience to, to say goodbye to people when your identity is wrapped up in who you are as a church leader, church planter, or something like that. And it was a big lesson for me that, and I think one of the things that helped me get beyond that dark, those dark days, those, you know, those dark nights of the soul was actually that realization that my security is in who I am in Christ. My identity is wrapped up in Him. And until I got that practically, man, it was hard uh, to see that uh, literally. Uh, my next one would be <clears throat> build, build on God's promises, uh, not on people's promises. Um, and just what I found is that, you know, when you begin to talk to people about uh, planting a church, uh, you're a bit like in, in salesman mode, and you might not even realize to what extent you're in that mode. Because uh, anytime you talk about, when you're getting ready to plant a church, anytime you talk about planting that church, you are super excited. And uh, you'll get people along for coffee and begin to share your vision. And, um, and the person listening on the other side is, I've, I've found that people, people are very good at telling you what they think you want to hear. You know, because they don't want to burst your bubble, and uh, it's just easier to just sort of say, mm. so I had a guy I, I met with and began to share the vision with him, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and after he listened for a while, he said, you know, he, he said, you know, it's, you know we, we're with you. My wife and I, we are in. We are with you. And I thought, oh, this is great, and ran back home and went to my Excel spreadsheet, typed in yet another name. Yes, you know, this is before we'd even launched. I'm thinking this is going so well. You know, I never saw him again. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and there was a lady who, who came along. Um, I think it was we were a, f a few weeks in. And uh, she sat through a service. And uh, at the end, man, she was, she was in tears. And, uh, and I went and spoke to her. And she said, oh, you know, it's, it was amazing. It was just like, just like coming, felt like coming home, she said. I remember those words. Uh, because those were her last words. Uh, I never saw her again either. <laughs> um, and so people will say all sorts of things. Um, but, and, and I'm not saying be cynical about the things people say to you. But I want to say to you, whatever people say, don't, don't shift and begin to build on, well, so-and-so said and so-and-so said but build on what God said because people will change.
people will say all sorts of things to either to make you happy or keep you know, whatever for whatever reason. But the reality is there are not many people who are prepared to do the hard yards of a church plant. Not many, and, 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 and as Christians, we wise up to this because, you know, if you go to a little church, what happens? You get roped in from day dot, okay? You don't get a moment to take a breath. You're like, oh, perfect. We're looking at someone to head up the ushering or whatever, and you know you're in, and, and people know that. And the reality is most Christians just want to come and sit on a Sunday morning. And so people can tell you all sorts of things, but they know it's going to be a hard graft there, and they know, uh-uh, you know, I'll join you, you know, and they'll quietly think, you know, maybe year three or four when there's some stability and there's some serving teams in place. Then I'll kind of sneak in and sit at the back. But don't build on people's promises and what people say they do, they will do, or what people say they will give. Um, rather build on, on God's promises so that when people shift and change as they will, um, you are not, your, your faith is not shaken and you are not shaken and your relationships with people uh, are not broken because, <clears throat> you know, how then do you speak to that guy uh, afterwards? And, and it's very hard. I have seen that woman who cried, by the way. It's very difficult to come to her and say, hey, hey, you cried that Sunday that you came and you said it was like coming home. Well, where have you gone, you know? Um, you want to still be able to have good relationships with people after that and not feel like, hey, you betrayed us, you know? So build on God's promises, not on man's promises. At the same time, it's to remember that people are what we've been called to. You know, we haven't be, we, we often think that, you know, church planting is about establishing a, a sort of a monument, in a sense, to ourselves. But it's, it's really, we're about people that Jesus died for. And it's, it's getting out and loving people, even the ones who give you grief at times. I, I've had to, we've had to learn this along the way, um, because there's some really some frustrating times when you're trying to minister to people, and the people you've got have, have been Christians for a long time, and that's how we've grown largely as the Journey Church, it's Christians, it's not that Christians, I guess, I'm hoping that they... They are, but some maybe still need to come to know Christ, but certainly religious Christians, and they've come in, and they've got nowhere else to go. They've left church, some, some of them, a long time ago, and they come in and sitting there. They've got their preconceived ideas, but they who God, God has brought to you, and it's to love them and to see that my job is still to, to help them mature to be disciples and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who are making disciples. And, and sometimes that's a, a long process because... Yeah, we would sit there in our leaders' meetings and oh, complain about somebody. And one day, it was just as if God just said to me, no, I've given them to you. Love them. Help them grow. And when I think how long it's taken me to get to where I am today, it's like, it's years. God, He's really patient with me. And how, how much patience we need with the people that God gives to us and to help them and, and shepherd them and help them get to the place. And my instinct is one who just get, go sit over there. I want to deal with those who, who really want uh, me to work with. And yet God has given those people to me. And they don't all stay, obviously. But they're still the people that God has given to us. And I've got to love them. Um, sometimes it's hard. Uh, my next one is be slow to appoint people into any position of leadership because it's very hard to go back. Um, the reality is, you know, when, you, when you're planting, you're very lonely and vulnerable. And, uh, and really anything that lives, anything that breathes, you are grateful for, you know. And uh, so anyone who walks through the door, you just think, thank you. Thank you. If only just to say, if only just to add two more people to my Excel spreadsheet. But what can then happen is um, because church planting by, very, by its very nature is a team sport, you are going to have, because sometimes it's not that you necessarily appoint people into leadership, but what happens is you very quickly form a de facto team because you, you're talking to people uh, anyway and you are dealing with, with situations uh, in a team context with, you know, whoever you've got. But... Um, what I would recommend is that you set expectations uh, clearly up front very early on where you just say, guys, you know, I'm so glad that we're here together. I'm so glad we're, we're in this together. But realize that we 
are just the team um, or that is helping to get this church plant going. At some point, we will appoint an, a leadership team and an eldership team, and you may or may not be on that team. And uh, I just want to check that you are happy with that. I want to check that you understand uh, that God's brought you here for a purpose, brought you here at this time for a purpose, but that at some stage when we appoint elders, uh, you may be an elder, wonderful, but you may not be, okay? And, uh, and, and it's, it's good to bring that up front because I think the temptation is to just leave it uh, and just let people crack on because it, it is an uncomfortable um, conversation. And if it doesn't go well, then you're going to lose, you know, maybe one or two of your precious eight people and, uh, and, and you feel like that's going to be too much of a hit. And so you don't say anything. And what happens is this little de facto team begins to form. People begin to feel like, well, I've been in this thing from the beginning. I've been in the inner circle. From the, I'm a leader in this church. And when discussions of formalizing leadership teams come, uh, you're now in a situation, perhaps now you've had a t time to observe people. You've had time to see, to check out the chemistry. You've had time to check out biblical qualifications. You've had time to check out how they handle pressure uh, and all of that sort of thing. And, uh, and you feel like, yeah, I think this guy would make a great deacon, but I don't think they're eldership material. But you're at a point where you've let them feel like they are part of the team for so long, then that becomes a very uncomfortable conversation. So I would say uh, right up front, uh, so avoid appointing, but be aware a de facto team is going to form anyway. So have the conversation early where you're setting expectations up front and that people understand that they may or may not be part of a formal leadership team later, although they'll always have a role to play within the church because it's a very, very uh, difficult thing to come back from. And the collateral damage later is far greater than it would be when there were maybe eight of you, the damage is far greater when there's 50, 60, 100 of you and you let this person down because what happens in a small church is um, uh, the, the people on the team or whatever, they are uh, building relationship, relationship circles build within the church. And this guy that you're about to let down in this way has got his um, pastoral base within the church, people that he perhaps has looked after, people he's brought into the church, etc. And by the time you tell him, you know, you're not going to be on the team, it's not just him who's going to be upset. You know, it's this whole little group of people. Uh, and you kind of think, but I thought I was leading this thing. And uh, yeah, you are, but there's, there's relationship circles within that. And, uh, and you could be in for a big shock. Uh, and then just related to that, is this whole issue of leadership. So I've, I've come from, I've had church experiences where uh, there's been a lot of uh, kind of autocratic leadership style. And so I tended to shy away from that in the beginning. And so I spoke at a lot about team and emphasized team uh, at the beginning, which is great because, you know, I wanted guys to know uh, this is not the Sibs show. Uh, it's not all about me. It's, it's about us. It's, it's our vision uh, and that kind of thing. And there's a certain degree uh, to which that's a, a healthy way to think, but there's also the reality that uh, uh, for whatever reason, God has chosen you to lead that church. Okay? And so you need to do just that. You need to give leadership and not, um, not uh, divest too much too soon. And say, so, okay, well, I'll put you in charge of that, or pastoral miss, I'll put you in charge of that. And say, so, oh, look, I've got this wonderful team. Uh, but you've got to realize that God chose you to give leadership for a reason. You've got to lead and lead strong. Don't be an autocrat, but lead strong. And only as there's a relationship building, as you begin to know and understand the gifts of the people and the character of the people God's put around you, as you begin to form a corporate DNA that you can begin to release some of these things. Because again, once you release something to somebody, it's very difficult to get it back. And if it begins to go in a way that is not in keeping with um, what you feel God's leading is or Scripture is, then it's, again, it's very difficult to begin to pull areas back and say, actually, I know I entrusted that to you, but I'm just going to take it back, you know, because there's really for them, 
there's no other way to hear that because, you know, you're doing a rubbish job, so I'm just going to take this thing back. And then people also can get into, oh, at the beginning he spoke about team, you know, but now his true colors are coming out. Now he's grabbing all this stuff back to himself. If you hadn't let it go too soon in the first place, you wouldn't have those issues. So uh, don't appoint leaders too soon and don't divest too much responsibility too soon. In the early days, you have to set the pace. You have to help set the DNA, and don't be afraid to lead. But I think for, for me, just my final thing that I want to just leave with you, and one of my, uh, it's a hard lesson, but it's a really good one. It's one that we're all learning all the time, and that's really about the faithfulness of God um, in everything that we endure. And you know, we often talk about things like this, oh, God is faithful, God is true, God is, you know, like all these things. But when do you get to experience that? It's through the trials, through the difficulties, through the, the, the lean times, through, you know, it's, we get to see and know. And when I think of the journey, church's journey, starting with guys who largely who are unemployed, I think uh, probably... Um, out of the men who we started with, more than half of us were unemployed when we started the church. Uh, and to see that four and a half years later, I'm still saying, you look at me, I've got some I'm pretty well-rounded. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's just, you know, I don't have money to go to gym, I guess. But, uh, uh, but there's, uh, there's like, we've just seen God's faithfulness. Uh, we, we haven't always been able to do like, oh, the big stuff and and everything, but we've seen the faithfulness of God in His provision in every way. We've seen it even through my wife's illness, where because of her uh, MS, people have come to the church because they've gone, oh wait, we were going to a church where people were rejected when they were like this. Now we're finding, wait, it's not like a judgment of God on me. So you know, my wife's always sought to use her illness to honor God, and, uh, and to see us being able to do that, and the faithfulness of God, even through illness, in, and keeping us, and sustaining us, and providing for us, you know, the big lessons of, who's your provider? It's like, God's my provider. You know, maybe the Journey Church gives me something, but God provides through them, what God provides through other sources, but God's my provider. They can go away, we can't do that now, and we've had those times where you, oh, the, the church can't give us much, but we've managed, and I've got three kids that are out of school studying, doing university studies, and, and you know, you kind of go, well, God's my provider, I, I'm here today and testifying to that, and, and it's sometimes the, it's getting to the place to testify and witness to that fact, it's a hard road. But I can tell you, God is faithful. Uh, my last two, you're done? <clears throat> okay, my last two, uh, uh, invest in relationship, with the, especially with the planting team. Um, when you plant a church, there is always so much to do. Always so much to do. Uh, there's meetings to plan, meetings to execute, meetings to follow up, and... Uh, and we, we uh, in our values on the website and all our literature, relationship was a very high value. Uh, but in practice, there wasn't a lot of it going on. And the reality is that the times that we met as a team and wives, we were discussing the church and we were discussing church issues and we were discussing what needed to be done and we were discussing people and we were discussing... And uh, to the point where, and, and all through that time, by the way, it's not that we were unaware. We kept saying, yeah, 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 we really need to nail this relationship thing. Yeah, we really need to nail this relationship thing. And, uh, and I can tell you that of uh, probably uh, five couples who started on that journey, uh, relationships with two of those have been changed, uh, you know, and, and, and broken, really. Two out of five, or maybe two out of four, because I'm the fifth. So half of the relationships I've had with the planting team are broken. And, uh, and you just think, yeah, you know, we got a church going, you know, but uh, this wasn't the dream. 
this wasn't a dream that these relationships would, would be uh, casualties. Um, because we can talk about these things. We can say, hey, you know, we, we must do this. But unless we do them, when, when the pressure comes, the cracks will show. And that's what happened. The pressure came, cracks showed, and relationships broke. And, uh, and that's a tragedy. Um, I think, so there, was, there were unique situations in each of those, but those situations, um, I think we would have had stronger bridges to handle those situations had there been um, emphasis on relationships, on building relationships. So times where we just gather to just be together, not to talk shop, not to plan, not to review, not to pray for the church, just to be together. So I really want to encourage you with that. And then the last one is prayer. Uh, prayer uh, has been probably the, the biggest factor for us. Um, we, uh, I guess like most church plants, we'd, we thought that we'd have, uh, uh, we'd find a venue, you know, that would cost, uh, you know, maybe sort of five grand or whatever. Uh, we were paying 10 times the amount. So right off the bat, we were completely out of our league as a new church, uh, and we were, we were drowning from day dot financially, which put a strain uh, from the get-go on everything um, that we did. But what it did do is that it helped us um, to become a people of prayer. So we launched the church with prayer meetings for about six months, but uh, right through those difficulties, the one thing we never stopped doing was praying. And I remember an elders meeting where we sat down and we just looked at the financial hole that we, were, that we were dealing with. And our response was to go to the church, show them the hole, and then call the church to pray. And, uh, and I can't tell you, I can't even tell you today how we got out of that hole at the time, but we did. And uh, it was a real testament to the power, to the power of prayer. And prayer is one of those things. Um, it, it's one of those things that's going to depress you most about leading a church, whether it's, uh, you know, one year old or 10 years old, is that people, Christians, just for some reason, just don't like prayer meetings. Um, and uh, you will have those days, and when we, we've had many where I just felt, oh, you know, what's the point, you know, <laughs> let's just stop this prayer meeting. But praise God, we, we've never done that. We've never stopped prayer praying. And so we still meet on Saturday mornings now from 8 to 9 in the morning to pray. Sometimes it's just uh, the leadership team because um, no one else has come out. But come what may, there will always be two or more people to agree in prayer for, for the church. Prayer says, God, we cannot do this without you. Um, when we don't pray, we say, actually, we're good. And what can happen is in the early days of the church, when the pressure's on, uh, when the pressure's at its greatest in terms of your survival. Um, it's very different, you know, when you face pressures as a, as a more mature church, it's, it's pressures of, of sustaining what is already there. That's a different pressure from uh, the pressure of surviving, of whether you, the doors are going to be open next week or not. But what can happen is as you move from that danger and those challenges of survival into the challenges of maintenance, we can begin to get complacent in prayer. And what we're quietly saying by our actions or lack thereof is that, God, we needed you in the beginning because things were really tough, but I think we've got it from here. You know, the money's coming in. Uh, the people are coming in. We've got this thing. We've got our teams in place. We know what we're doing. So thank you for giving us a push to get going, but we'll handle it from here. That's effectively what we're saying if we're not, when we're not praying as a church. So I would, I would say to you, as church planters, that's the one thing that's absolutely indispensable to planting a church, is starting in prayer and persevering in prayer. Okay? Cool. Any comments, questions? Yes. Just to pick on your uh, one leadership um, lesson. You mentioned the fact that you were you were basically the guy in charge and you had the team. Is is it not better to go in with a plural eldership right up front? So you have let's say two or three elders. I mean, I, I think that's quite biblical. Um, and then together you're accountable 
for the for the church plant. Uh, it's a it would be a remarkable dream to plant a church with three elders, um, and if you can do it, wonderful, do it. But uh, that is seldom the case. So unless you're being planted out of a church that's been planning this for a long time, that's had elders set aside for that particular thing, uh, you are not going to have people who are um, ready-made elders. And so to plant out of a church or to be planted out is fantastic. But when you're in, I'm talking from the point of view of you are going out to plant and you don't have that in place yet. There's the plurality in the sense that you're not making decisions by yourself, but sometimes what can be lost in team is leadership. And, uh, and I think um, we've got to remember that, that actually leadership is a spiritual gift. It's not a it's, it's not, uh, power of personality. It's a spiritual gift. And when we don't have leadership, we are actually undermining biblical uh, uh, ecclesiology. And we're actually saying uh, we know a bit better than God. And so it's within plurality, we always need to recognize the spiritual gift and honor the spiritual gift of leadership. Uh, can I just put my thought in there as well? I think the, the reality is so many church plants are not done well. So, you know, when, when the guys are getting started, there's not a lead up, there's not a, uh, it's not a, a forethought, it's like an afterthought almost. I mean, with our experience, we came one Sunday, that, you know, it was like a couple of months in conversation with the church leader, coming to a Sunday and going, okay, Bruce and Jenny are not going to be around anymore, let's pray for them, they're going to plant a church. And it's like, and, and, and uh, you know, behind the doors going, please don't take anyone. So it's like, okay, you're on your own. You've got to make this thing work right now and do it. Um, so th th there's a difference. I think, I think it's a challenge for us, those of you who are maybe leading churches, that w your heart should be stirred towards doing church planning well so that, uh, you know, there's a possibility of leadership teams going out together as well. Not just, hey, cheers, now work it out yourself. Um, and, and I think that that's, uh, there's w different ways of thinking about that. And if we, can, if we could develop a culture of doing it well, how awesome. Are you talking specifically about what did the Sunday meetings look like? No, no, no. Outside of the meetings. Okay. So we, uh, well, that's We heard um, that we shouldn't be looking to our Sunday service and just the worship service as the silver bullet of growth in church planting. Um, it's, a, it's a lesson I've actually learned kind of the hard way in our church plant. And so I'd really like to hear from you guys in terms of the day-to-day, -day, the Monday to Friday, more likely, of gathering people relationally. What did your first two years look like for you? So outside of Sunday. Okay. So my first, uh, when we were starting, because we had, like, so many guys unemployed, we did tons of coffees. Um, we would, we, yeah, I don't know how we did this. I honestly don't, but we would, we would drive and go and, be driving around the area, especially before we even found the first venue, we were still meeting our home. We'd be getting the guys to, I'd, you know, there's about three or four of us climbing a vehicle, and we'd go drive and look around and pray and and go look for a place to just hang out. And I guess that's where a lot of it was done. That when we got going, we we sort of quickly established uh, our small groups. I, d I think right now, my thinking is far more intentional about what we desire to be. I, I don't think we're getting anywhere there. The Joburg lifestyle is very, uh, it's a huge challenge to get guys into small groups. But we've been very challenged in terms of 
missional communities and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, our side, uh, Jeff and Estelle's um, material has been a huge challenge. We sent one of our guys to uh, Soma communities for a week and he you know, he came back, we did the story, we did a lot of stuff like that. But uh, I think uh, we had a strong strategy. It's kind of imploded a bit um, right now. But initially, so coffees were like the thing. We love coffee. It's godly. Um, but I think that was, yeah, probably one of the best things we did. So I was actually uh, holding down a sales job in the first year of, of the church plant, so I wasn't full-time. Uh, and so uh, looking back, um, meeting with people is something that I didn't do enough of and is something that I, I would have done a whole lot more one-on-one uh, -on -one personally. So we did have midweek groups and uh, we had monthly prayer meetings and that was all well and good. But uh, the things that I would do more is personally as the guy who was leading the thing, spend more time with uh, the people who initially the planting team, but then the people who joined afterwards. Um, I think that's a really key uh, thing to do right at the beginning. I just want to thank both of you guys for sharing us real life stories. We really appreciate for that. But I have just two questions for each one of you. Um, how do you balance your time? Because from what I'm getting, it's a lot of work to do church planting between ministry and your family so that your spouse and your children should not suffer at the expense of ministry. That's number one. And then number two, Financially, what has been your experience to do church planting? Thank you. Um, I think in terms of balance, yeah, it, it, it is really busy. And, uh, you know, I spoke about relationships. Uh, I think the thing we need to remember is even before your planting team, your primary uh, relational sphere is your family. And so you need to be very intentional about spending time with, with wife and kids. And so what we did was we had, there were times that I would actually set aside to go out with the kids. So like Saturday morning, I knew that was my time with the kids and would try not to do anything there. Um, I didn't do date nights as well with my wife, um, which was naughty. And again, looking back, that's something I would uh, have tried to do uh, a lot better with. Um, in, terms, in terms of finances, uh, I think I've touched, I've touched on that a little bit. That was a, a, a really challenging uh, uh, part uh, for us. But I, I think, you know, there's basically, there's, there's two ways. One is maybe you're on your own and you don't have any kind of financial support, okay? As difficult as that is, um, I think it does teach you some very important lessons. Um, the first one, I think, is, is on faith and prayer. Because mm. um, the reality is, and then the second one is just on diligence with finance. Because the reality is it's easier to spend someone else's money uh, you think less about decisions, you pray less just because, well, the money's there. Um, and so the, it really helped us to bring discipline into uh, and really think about what's important and where should we be channeling resources. But there's no question that it does bring a lot of financial pressure. A practical thing along with that is when we were planning to plant the church, again, like I said, we'd budgeted maybe 5000 in rent and and so everything worked nicely until we actually found a venue which was 10 times that amount. And suddenly all of your plans go out the window. And so just need to be wise uh, before you, you do all your budgeting. Make sure actually you found a venue and you know what it's going to cost uh, and, uh, and you know what you're committing to because the, the, the journey that we've been on, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend. We've learned a lot. God's uh, helped us. God's grown us and we've seen just God's hand of provision in, in, in many ways, but it's also brought a lot of stress and anguish, which I think if it can be avoided, you know, church planting is hard enough. If it can be avoided, it must be avoided. On my side, it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey, so it's a good question, um, because when stress is, when my wife is under stress, uh, uh, MS also flares up, so it gets, it gets worse. So... Um, I've had to protect her uh, a lot from a lot of the stresses kind of thing. Um, but I think, in all honesty, my life hasn't been 
as balanced as it should be. So uh, it's like sort of you just get into this habit of life. And so the last year I've been working two days a week for Christian Book Discounters and then trying to uh, lead the church and do something else. And, and it's like, it's just crazy. I mean, and uh, it's God's grace that has sustained me, but it's not right because, you know, it just means it's working all the time. And uh, so weekends get filled up with with stuff. It's preparation for Sunday and and uh, all sorts of things. So uh, I haven't had a, honestly, I haven't had a healthy uh, life over the last couple of years. Um, and, uh, and that's, uh, I mean, God convicts me of that all the time and I have to listen to him. Um, and I, I think in terms of finance, uh, it's been quite a journey because even when the finances are weak, I mean, I've sat with my kids and uh, my daughter's going, oh, next year, I don't know how we're going to pay for studies. And I'm going, well, let's pray. Let's pray about it. My other daughter going, oh, she wants to go to America. Uh, and she, and she oh, she's like, there's no money available. Like, how do we do this? Well, let's pray about it. And uh, everything that we've we've prayed about stuff and and, and stuff happens, and I've got crazy stories about how stuff happens, and I want to tell them, but I don't, we don't have the time, cause, but uh, it's just, you know, I think going back to that, that place where you, you, the only way you can actually move forward is by, just by asking God, because you know that you don't have the resources, you don't have the, the ability to make that happen, but you, you've got the God who, who is in control of all things, and he can make it happen. And I've just seen it so often. Five more minutes, guys. Okay. This might be a bit of a can of worms, but in light of how important relationships are in the church planting context and the strain that planting places on them, I feel it's important. Um, in my experience, and that's limited, of, uh, of, of leadership in contexts like that, I often encounter leaders that can love their congregants and love the people around them, but do so almost in a conditional sense, where they love them as though it's part of the job description, but it's not intense, it's not unconditional, it's not personal, because they have, they might not get along with them, or someone's cheered out on someone else's toast by something that's been done in the church. How do you, have you encountered that with your leaders in the plants, and what does the, the resolution of that look like in a plant context? I think if I'm understanding your question correctly, um, love doesn't mean we're all happy and all smiling all the time. Love means we're, we're speaking the truth when it needs to be spoken. We're doing it in love and in a constructive and biblical way. And in particular, following, following the pattern in Matthew 18 and so on. And so not letting things fester, uh, but confronting them in a loving way. Um, and again, for me, when there isn't that foundation of genuine relationship, even when you try and do that, things can blow up, which is what I experienced. And so... Um, again, it all comes down to genuine relationship. And as you said, you know, sometimes we can do it as, as, as part of the job and we, we need, to, we need to others to help, need to remain accountable to that because even preaching can be done not because we love people, it's just a job. But as church planters, we need to be aware that all of the time our relationship with the Lord is vibrant because, and that our ministry is an overflow of that relationship rather than executing a job description. I just think for me, I've had to realize that I just can't be everybody's close mate. And I can't just be like when they phone me. Everybody wants to meet in the evenings. I've only got like so many and my wife and my family need, they, they need me as well. So, um, you know what, I've just, I have to be okay with that. Um, that somebody may not, they might get chipped off with me because they think I'm not giving them enough time or whatever. And um, I love them, and I've got to watch my heart that I make sure I do. Yeah. Um, the earlier question regarding the growth of the church and the speed of the growth. Um, I've been involved in a couple of churches, actually three church life cycles over 10 years each one. And uh, the last one was a church where I joined when there were 80 people. Within about eight years, uh, they grew about one and a half thousand. Um, the modus operandi was what you mentioned a little bit earlier, using faith with a bit of common sense. 
and um, advertising works. Often, you, uh, as a group, you think, ah, oh, everyone knows about us. We're here, you know. So let's pray and ask God to bring people. However, uh, when we started uh, using that approach, very, very few people arrived. It was only when we started handing out pamphlets, putting in little ads in the paper, we suddenly we grew from 80 to 450 within about two months. So I just want to encourage everyone not to forego that, you know, and say, well, it's just by faith and uh, Holy Spirit. Just to say on that, social media is big these days. So uh, for church planters, that really works for you. So we had our website running, I think, four months before the church actually launched uh, financially as well. We had, our, uh, we had registered the church and had a bank, bank account up and running. So we, were, we had money coming in before the church was launched. We, had, we were having conversations on Facebook. and there were, So City Hill had a, a cyber presence before it had a physical presence. So yeah, advertising does work. And I heard a... Um, another church of another pastor say the signs that point to their church bring in more people than their members bring in. So we, we, mu we mustn't be unaware of that. Yes. I um, want to thank you both just for, just for serving us now. But just as piggyback off that last question, actually, um, in, in my experience, and it's limited as someone mentioned earlier, there's a lot of churches today who, who feel like there's a need for more leadership in the church coming from the church rather than outsourcing a new elder or what would you suggest for raising up leaders um, in your congregation as a church plant from the very beginning versus, you know, how do you start out? How do you think for that? And then secondly, you, it's kind of with this, it's with the marketing thing, but it's evangelistic. If you want your church to be very relational, how do you, um, and reaching the lost, but at the same time bringing more people in, how do you balance the, how do you equip them for that in a planting phase? And then how do you balance the marketing and, you know, yeah. the relational? So I've, I've been challenged personally, um, and I'm, I'm processing it as we speak by the, there's basically, um, if you like, there's, there's two approaches of, of church planting. One is event-driven, and so you can focus on the, the Sunday thing and draw people to that and have good preaching, good music, etc. Um, and, and we went that route. Um, I think I'm a little bit in sort of disillusionment mode about that route at the moment. Um, I've come across, I don't know if you've read Wiki Church by Steve Morell, um, leader of uh, Every Nation Church, and so they're very much into discipleship. The thing is sometimes I think we can raise leaders, we think we can raise leaders by running good courses on leadership. You know, uh, we raise leaders by discipling people. And, uh, and so the model that they use is actually not focusing so much on, hey, we've got a great meeting, come to it, but actually one-on-one -on -one bringing people to faith in Christ, bringing them to maturity in Christ through a, a, a proper worked-out discipleship program. Because what happens is as I disciple him, he's also learning how to disciple others. And so he's discipled. After that, he can then go and disciple others and I carry on doing that. And I think we need to come back to that and uh, be less flash, you know, electric guitars and think people are going to become mature because they listen to our sermons every week. They're not. Discipleship is walking with people, working through stuff, and that's how we raise leaders. Okay, I think that's yeah, all we have time yeah, for. Uh, was there one more burning question? Okay. I just wanted to ask, how did you guys come up with your name? Oh, City Hill Church. Uh, so for me, City Hill Church, I remember God said to me, I was praying one day about the name, and I felt God say to me, um, would you be okay with, and it was almost like testing my, my pride, would you be okay with you not being the one to come up with the name of the church? And I thought, oh, okay, if that's how you want to play it. Um, and then a few days later, one of our leaders said was, uh, he was praying, and God gave him uh, the verse about being a city on a hill. And that resonated with me straight away. And I said, yep, that's it. Yeah, for us, we, uh, I mean, obviously, I've been praying about it. Just like, what do we do? And just very much felt like the journey is, is something that we're on. We're confident of the destination. We want to invite people to join us along the journey. So, um, you know, it just seemed like a, an appropriate thing for us to do in terms of how we saw our life as a church. 
Yeah. Guys, I just hope this has been some encouragement to you. Uh, uh, yeah, encouragement. Uh, not scaring you away too much from the church planting, but uh, something of an awareness of the challenges that uh, are faced for those who will enter it. So let's pray and ask God to just stir just a deep passion for Him, a love and affection for our Savior that would result in us wanting His name to be known. Lord, I thank you for for the grace that of God that is evident in the lives of each one in this room. And I, I thank you for the work that you've done in us. And Lord, we want to see your kingdom uh, come. We want to see your name and your fame spread throughout all this, uh, throughout this earth. And Lord, we you know, just so humbled by the fact that we can be people who you've chosen to, to make your name famous. So won't you stir a passion for the things of God in our lives? Lord, maybe some of us are going to plant churches. Maybe some of us will support uh, planting churches. But I pray that every person who goes out will feel the love and the support from those around them and that they will be encouraged in, the, in knowing that you are a faithful and true God in what you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.